0: welcome to is there really truth and justice for all with your host jeff stein this program really does uncover the sometime myth that all are innocent until proven guilty the truth is that many innocent people are found guilty of a crime that they did not commit we discussed the judicial system its flaws and where it could be made better now here is jeff stein
1: Good morning and welcome to the 19th live episode of Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Thank you all for listening. We've had great success with the first 19 live episodes, so much that our numbers have been fantastic. We also have been listened to in over 33 different countries. So thank you to our dedicated listeners, especially in Ireland, Russia, and China, who have been consistently listening to our show. Don't forget that we have a Facebook page, www.facebook.com. Forward slash. Is there really truth and justice for all? So please uh, check out our Facebook page and make some comments. Um, at, at request who, you, who you'd like to hear on the show, what you'd like to hear. We, we'd love to lo- love to hear from you. For our new listeners, there are many wrongful arrests and convictions in the United States. We are working to address these problems and with the integrity of those involved in the wrongful convictions within the judicial system. We will talk to victims of wrongful arrests and convictions, witnesses, people involved in the judicial process, and try to create an understanding that our current judicial system is not truth and justice for all, and that everyone needs to be aware this widespread problem in our country does not discriminate against race, religion, sex, or nationality. Anyone can become a victim to the judicial system because of false or coerced statements, ineffective assistance of counsel, lackadaisical police work, prosecutorial misconduct, jailhouse snitches, deceitful witnesses, and even dishonest expert witnesses. Today, our guest is Portia Hoggard. Am I, am I saying your last name correctly, Portia? It's Hoggard. Hogard. I'm yeah. sorry. So welcome to the show, Portia, and thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Portia, I always share with uh, this with our listeners. Did you know that there are approximately two million people in jail or prison in the United States, and that's more than any other domesticated country in the world? And there, there's no perfect formula that can be applied to how many are innocent, but it's believed to be anywhere from two percent to as much as ten percent. So even on the low end, that equates to forty thousand, or on the high end, it could be as much as two hundred thousand innocent men and women. Who like your, like your cousin, who have been wrongfully convicted. That does not include those that have been wrongfully charged of a crime either. So those numbers are much higher. Uh, and and uh, Marquise is a perfect example of this. The National Registry of Exonerations state there are over 2,522 exonerations. And that equates to 22,315 years lost. So those inmates can't get those, those, those people who serve time can't get that time back. These numbers are, in my mind, just mind-blowing. Imagine how many more there are. Of those 47, of those 47 of the the exonerees, have spent 30 plus years behind bars, wrongfully convicted. Portia is the outside voice for Marquise Rayner, who was wrongfully incarcerated for a crime he did not commit. Marquise, his brother Dominic, and his brother's friend Cameron, who was acquitted, were arrested in 2013 and charged with second and third degree murder. Marquise was sentenced to life plus 65. There was a robbery that took place with three individuals that left a victim dead in June of 2012. Marquise is presently an inmate at SCI Forest. He is from a small suburban city in Pennsylvania, Coatesville, Pennsylvania, and before this incident he enjoyed spending time with his family and friends And He stated that on March 12, 2013, his life took a complete turn for the worse. He went from waking up each morning preparing for a day caring for hospital patients at the Coatesville Brandywine Hospital, where he worked, to waking up in a jail cell. He was accused of and arrested for a very unfortunate crime that took place in Coatesville on June 29, 2012. He claims he was not involved with the crime in any capacity on that day in June when a robbery murder was committed. And for these very reasons, I always recommend that the defense must conduct its own investigation instead of relying on the investigation conducted by the prosecutorial team. So today with Portia, we're going to talk about her cousin's case and what the evidence uncovered but still resulted in a guilty verdict. Portia, if, if, if you don't mind, let's start from the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about Marquis before the incident slash arrest and what he was like as a person?
2: Yes, Marquise was actually, he was very funny, humorous, definitely hardworking. He had a good head on his shoulders. He was employed with Brandywine Hospital, where he assisted with uh, patient care, as well as the kitchen. And he also was employed with a daycare in Downingtown as well. So he kept himself pretty busy.
1: So all the things that, now obviously, you know, anyone can... um, can do something wrong, but definitely doesn't sound like the traits of somebody who's a murderer who's working in a hospital in a daycare center. Correct. On June 29th, um, 2012, the investigation revealed that there were three people involved, uh, obviously not including the victim. One of the said participants was acquitted of the crime prior to Marquise's trial, and that was due to lack of evidence. Can you tell us a little bit about what your knowledge, because you're, you're very passionate, obviously, about this. Can you tell us what you know about the incident itself uh, that took place on June 29th?
2: The incident itself that took place on June 29th was a robbery, and to my understanding, when the three assailants entered the home, there was a shot which pierced the similarity of Dominique Williams, and he actually ended up bleeding out and he passed away in the process. During the robbery, there was a jar removed from the house as well. I'm not sure what was inside the jar. I believe it was said to be a few dollars and a pack of cigarettes in the jar that was stolen from the house as well.
1: And who was the person who was acquitted because of lack of evidence?
2: Cameron Horn.
1: Okay. We're going to get back to that, but is that the same Cameron who was also the driver who who was a, a, a witness?
2: That I'm not sure of. I don't believe it is.
1: Okay. So it's a different Cameron.
2: Yes.
1: Okay. And the... The people, the other person who wasn't acquitted, was that Marquise's brother or half-brother, and his name was Dominique as well?
2: Yes, Dominique Lee and Marquise Rayner are half-brothers, and they were tried together, and they were both convicted.
1: Okay. And was did Dominique plead guilty, or was he found guilty?
2: They both were found guilty.
1: After pleading okay. not guilty. All right. The, it, from, from some of the information that I read, like you mentioned, there was three culprits. And somewhere mm-hmm. they said they, they all wore black T-shirts. And later on, Correct. I think that played a, a role in the trial. Can you elaborate to the listeners a little bit about the T-shirts and what they had to do with this case?
2: Yes. In the trial, there were t-shirts recovered at the scene. Those t-shirts actually happened to be black. But when witnesses who were inside the house during the robbery took the stand, they stated that the shirts were of a different color scheme, which included red and white.
1: Okay. And later on, there was a shirt found a block away and it, it was alleged that Marquise's DNA um, was on there, uh, along with there was four other people's DNA, but if I'm correct, the other people or the other DNA was not tied back to anyone in particular. They, they, there was no matches.
2: Correct. There were okay. four DNAs total. Only Marquise's DNA was identified on the T-shirt, which was found a block away from where the robbery initially took place.
1: What does he say about that T-shirt? How did his DNA get on there?
2: Marquise believes that when he was questioned by Chester County detectives, when he voluntarily gave his DNA sample, that's how his DNA ended up on that T-shirt.
1: Okay. What What brought them to want to question him or to, to charge him with this?
2: I believe that they knew that his brother was possibly involved in the incident and they knew that they resided together with their mother at the time. So I believe it was just more so to see if Marquise had any information on the situation that took place.
1: Okay. And so, so speaking of Dominique Lee and that, that jar that you had mentioned, I read that it contained 19 that that jar was found uh, in that proximity of of the incident, and there was nineteen fingerprints different different fingerprints that were found on the on the jar and one of them happened to be Dominique's, and the jar was correct. identified as being taken during the robbery, but none of the witnesses who claimed to have been in contact with the jar, none of their fingerprints were recognized on the jar correct so and I don't know if this is something you can you can. Share, but is Dominique was he involved? Do we know if he was involved?
2: That I'm not sure of. Okay. I haven't. I haven't been in contact with Dominique in quite a bit.
1: So d- during the during the trial, Dominique was claiming that he was innocent. However, there there was a fingerprint taken from from this jar. Was there any? Do you know? was there any way for which he can explain that?
2: That I'm not sure of either. I know it was okay. a smudge fingerprint of his that actually tied to him that was located on the jar.
1: And there was no fingerprints of of Marquis um, on that jar no. at all. None well, at all. During the trial, there were phone records that were submitted in court which showed that there was consistent phone activity between calls and text messages that Marquise claims that he was arguing with his then significant other during the time of the robbery, uh, you know, over the phone. Um, but that did not matter, did it, during the, during the trial or, or obviously during the, um, the guilty, <laughs> the, the findings of the jury?
2: It did not, they were just admissible in court and they were completely ruled out.
1: Now, who was, who was his significant other, um, that he was, he was conversing with?
2: It was one of, one of the Coastville residents. Her name is Dequecia.
1: Okay. Was, was she called into court to testify as a witness?
2: I don't believe she was.
1: Huh. Now, that, that would be interesting. I mean, I would think that she would be a, a, a witness for the defense, stating, you know, that she can testify that she was, you know, having phone calls and text messages with Marquise, you know, during that alleged time where, you know, they were fighting about or arguing whatever they were arguing about. So that's interesting. Right. He was later seen on camera clocking in at the hospital where he worked, uh, I guess, a few hours after the robbery. Do you know how many hours? Do you know how long after?
2: Marquise had to be to work at 6 o'clock. So the robbery took place maybe early morning, so I want to say between 12 a.m. and 2 a.m.,
1: 12 a.m. and 2 a.m., and he had to be in work at 6 a.m., 6 in the morning. Yes. Yeah. So he had to get up, shower, drive to the hospital. I mean, it's it's close, but not that close. Still had to, you know, spend 15 minutes dri- driving there. Um, right. And he, he went in to work, and at that point in time, he had no idea any of this was going on. in, in that particular day, I guess that was, what, June 30th. Uh, he just went to work like it was a normal day.
2: Yes. Just went to work with, like it was a normal
1: day. Okay. That's fascinating to me. It's it, You know, this is one of the challenges that happens, you know, in, in wrongful conviction cases. There's just so many interesting things and it makes you wonder how the jury came to their conclusion that they did. There was a witness for the prosecution who stated at Cameron's trial, (coughs) excuse me, um, that Marquise was not involved. Is is that correct? Do you remember the details with that?
2: Yes, he stated that Marquise was not involved. And when they asked how he was aware of who was involved, he stated that he was a participant as far as driving Dominique and Cameron Horn to commit the crime.
1: Hold on, back up. He, he stated that he drove Dominique, and who was the other person you mentioned? Cameron Horn. Cameron Horn. Yes. Who was later, Who who was found not guilty, who was acquitted.
2: Yes, he was acquitted due to lack of evidence.
1: Cameron, And this person, this witness, were they charged with anything?
2: I don't believe they were charged with anything tied to this crime at all.
1: That's interesting. So that person was the driver who turned as a witness to, for the state and identified two people. Marquise not being one of them. And yet one of those people that he identified was acquitted for lack of evidence. Correct. Uh, okay. That that it's it boggles your mind, doesn't it?
2: It it really does. It raises a lot of red flags and questions.
1: Was was Marquise did he have any criminal records prior to this that you're aware of?
2: I believe he had one incident when he was a juvenile. I'm not sure of the details of it, but I kind of do vaguely remember him being in trouble one time.
1: But as a juvenile, nothing as an adult?
2: No, nothing as an adult at all.
1: And the, I'm just kind of recapping some of the things we talked about. And, and trying to wrap my head around this. So the the witnesses who were in the home at the time, they didn't identify Marquis at all, or or they really couldn't identify anyone because they said, did they say they were wearing masks or something like that as well?
2: Yeah, the witnesses in the house couldn't identify any of the participants because they were wearing shirts. T-shirts over their face, faces.
1: Okay. Let's, we're going to stop and take a, a quick break, um, a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back and we'll pick this up and kind of recap everything because I, I just don't understand where, what evidence they have that pointed to him other than the DNA on this shirt. But again, it sounds like there's a big, a, a big controversy with these T-shirts. So, um, we'll be right back for uh, a commercial break, and uh, in about one minute, two minutes.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. ELPS Private Detective Agency is here to provide you with security and investigative services. Our specialties include criminal defense, surveillance, security consulting, loss prevention investigations, and more. ELPS Private Detective Agency is a dynamic team of professionals with over 30 years of experience. No case is too small, too large, or too difficult. We're licensed, bonded, and insured. Visit ELPSPDA.com on the web or call us at 877-SEE-THAT-ELPS Private Detective Agency. Fighting theft, fraud, and crime, one case at a time. listening to is there really truth and justice for all to reach jeff stein or his guest today please call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or you can send an email to j at elpspda.com now back to is there really truth and justice for all
1: Welcome back, and I am here with Portia, the cousin of Marquise, who is currently incarcerated for murder um, that occurred in 2012 in Coatesville, Pennsylvania. And we're talking about some of the evidence that was um, brought up and some of the things that just make you shake your head a little bit. So I want to go back and and I guess recap a couple things that we talked about. Portia, these—if I recall, as as I was reading some some of the case—the t-shirts were used. Were they used to um, as a mask, like to wrap around their faces?
2: Yes, correct.
1: Okay, and th- so so the victims, obviously not the deceased, but the other folks that were in the house, they were not able to identify. Anyone, the, uh, any of the the faces, or any of the people who um, were allegedly inside their home during during that night or morning. Correct. Right. Okay. And one of, I guess, one of the uh, the intruders immediately shot uh, Mr. Williams, and another one of the intruders went into one of the other. Uh, t- residence uh, bedroom and grabbed that clear plastic jar that um, contained uh, apparently some possibly some marijuana money and a pack of cigarettes. And then all three intruders ran from the apartment and the deceased remained on the living room floor, I guess, bleeding to death. Um, Later at the hospital, he died. The, the plastic, jar was found about two blocks away from the victim's apartment, and located nearby was a black T-shirt. And I guess that the testing revealed that there was a presence of um, Dominic Lee's thumbprint on the jar and Marquise's DNA on the T-shirt, and those two are half-brothers, and they were subsequently arrested for the murder of Dominic Williams. Yes. And then during the trial, which which was in 2014, and so it was a four day trial, the jury found both of them guilty of murder. And Marquise was found guilty of second degree murder? Or was he third? Second degree
2: murder and third degree murder, I believe.
1: Okay. Right, both second and third degree murder. Um, The only thing linking him was the DNA from that T-shirt that really sealed the deal, I guess, for the prosecution, as far as you're aware. Yes. I'm confused about where this, this third person because there was definitely three people that came in there. And there was there was Cameron who stated he drove them. So he must have been the other person that went into that house. Because he identified two other people. Unless there was a third person that he didn't identify.
2: I Does believe that, there was a third person that wasn't identified.
1: Okay, so Cameron... Is Cameron said that there was three people in the car, and of those three people, none of them was your cousin Marquise.
2: No, Marquise was not in the vehicle at all.
1: <laughs> right, that's what I mean. That, that's what Cameron mm-hmm. said. He, he, he identified two of those people, but Marquise not being one of them.
2: No, there was actually a person who identified Mar- um, Dominique and Cameron in the vehicle. So this person is completely separate and was not charged in this incident. That person was actually the witness for the prosecution. So the witness for the prosecution testified that he picked up Cameron and Dominique and dropped them off to commit the crime where they met up with the third assailant.
1: Okay. Right. But, but he drove Mm -hmm. them, that person um, drove them from wherever he he, he got them and, and dropped them off. Oh, and, and so they met with a third person at the apartments where the crime took place. Correct. Gotcha. And did, do you know, I don't recall seeing this, did he see who that third person was?
2: I'm not sure if he seen who the third person was.
1: Okay. That makes sense. Now I get it. So, was, uh, I'm just reading my notes. The other, the other thing that's, that's interesting, and I wonder if he was spoken to after this, but the prosecutor at the time was Mark Conte. And he resigned from the district attorney's office. And he later went on to work alongside Evan Kelly, who was Dominique Lee's defense attorney. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. But he didn't go to work with him until after the trial, right? I mean, that was that was something that was done after the fact?
2: Correct. That was after the trial.
1: How long after, do you know, offhand?
2: That, I'm not sure. I, I believe it was within the year of sentencing.
1: Okay. Interesting. Because that was
2: actually a shocker for me to see the person who actually prosecuted them actually joined legal teams with the defense attorneys who defended them.
1: Right. Interesting. Was there anything else that you can think of that seemed out of line during the time of the trial and and during everything that Marquise was going through?
2: Honestly, I don't recall. I was just so stuck on the entire T-shirt incident. It just, it just didn't make sense to me. That's no different than me leaving my T-shirt randomly on the street and about four days later, a uh, crime is committed and they're coming knocking on my door because they found a T-shirt with my DNA on it. Who's to say how long that shirt's been there? So I was just baffled by the evidence during the trial.
1: And was there, do you recall there was, there was, um, some testimony about, um, somebody who, who sent in or who received an anonymous tip, or I guess the detective received an anonymous tip. Are you familiar with that? No, that
2: I'm not familiar with.
1: Okay. I think there was something that, that took place with an anonymous tip that, that could be part of the upcoming PCRA, possibly. Um, the Were there any other witnesses to identify who was, was present or who was there, who or what they saw?
2: Legally-wise, witness-wise, I'm not sure, but, you know, When you live in an urban community such as Coatesville, you know, people tend to talk. So there is another witness who is actually identified by, quote-unquote, the people who are talking as the actual shooter.
1: Okay. Now, you just mentioned um, a city like Coatesville that people like to talk. There, there's a flip side of that, too, and we can chat about that. A lot of times in the inner cities, people don't want to talk, right? They mm-hmm. they don't want to talk to the police. They talk on the streets. You know, they may talk amongst their friends, their clique, their crowd, but they don't want to talk to the police and say, I, I saw this or I observed that because then they're they're a snitch. And, you know, there, there's a lot of codes of conduct among people and in and, and, Inner cities, you know, that don't want to be labeled as a snitch. And what I, I don't think a lot of people realize is it's it's not so much about snitching and tattletelling like we think about, you know, when you're in high school. The concern is that when you snitch on somebody, that somebody's gonna come after you and retaliate against you or your family. Exactly. We, so you know, when when you mentioned that people are, are kind of talking on the streets or or in the neighborhood, is that what you mean? More so on the streets as opposed to with coming forward to the police?
2: Yes. All right.
1: Um, and that's interesting about the the people inside testified that there were different color T-shirts. There was white T-shirts. And a black T-shirt, and I'm not sure you had mentioned a, a red one, possibly.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: What, what does Marquis say? What's, when, when you talk to him and you have conversations, he obviously says that he wasn't there. He, he had nothing to do with it. Does he, does he know who did? Does he, does he mention whether his brother, um, Dominic Lee, was involved Um, Is there any conversation with Dominic Lee, possibly, if he was involved coming forward?
2: Me and Marquise did have that conversation when we had a visit in person. And, you know, I looked Marquise in his eyes, I said, Marquise, you know, just explain to me what happened or like, what, what do you know about what happened? And he said, honestly, cause I'm not sure. I can't even give you information to tell you because I don't know what happened. He was basically blindsided by everything.
1: Okay. And, and how about Dominique Lee? Um, do you have any, did you, or do you have any conversations with him as well?
2: I haven't spoken to Dominique in the last few years,
1: honestly. Okay. Not
2: since everything began.
1: And when you were talking to him, what was his attitude or or his thought process? What was, you know, what did he think or what did he say about the incident to you?
2: He didn't really speak on the incident, but to sum up, I guess his demeanor towards it—it it was just more so he
1: was unbothered. Okay. And and I don't want to I don't want to draw assumptions, uh, you know. Um, but you, you, I guess you get the feeling that there may be more there more than meets the eye with him. Um, Absolutely. It, it, gotcha. And where is where is he currently housed?
2: I believe he is housed. I want to say Smithfield. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And currently, what th- there's there's a PCRA, um, uh, another PCRA that. Marquise's attorney has filed. And as far as PCRAs for for the listeners, that's a post-conviction relief act. And for a PCRA, you need to prove that there was either new evidence that wasn't available at the time of the trial or that there was ineffectiveness of, of the counsel, that the trial attorney didn't do everything that he or she should have done. Um, do you know without getting into the details, because we don't, we can't really discuss um, the details of a PCRA, you know, before their, um, before the trial, before the PCRA, if it's even approved. Um, it, the PCRA process, again, for the listeners, is to me it's a challenge. It used to be that you had sixty days if there was new information um, that became available. They have since changed the law and made it a year, which I think that's great. I I don't know why there is even a statute or a time limit on there, um, because I I think people don't, number one, not all people realize that when there's new information received, the clock starts ticking. And even though you you say it's a year, a year may not be enough because, as Portia, I'm sure you can probably comment to the expense that this costs the family and you know, people aren't, not everybody can afford um, the dream team, you know, the dream legal team, like, like some of the the big superstars and um, Bill Cosby, for example, and um, uh, others, you know, you need to, you need to come up with the money, you need to come up with the funds to be able to afford an attorney. So a lot of times families work together to try to chip in and and come up with some money for an an mm-hmm. attorney. And that all delays that, that PCRA process sometimes. Um, so, anyway, you have a year. And then, once you file the PCRA, right, it's it's something that the attorney, or if you're representing yourself and you're pro se, um, a, a lot of inmates become what you know what referred to as jailhouse lawyers because they spend a lot of time in the law library studying and reading case law and they become really smart and really. Um, Acute with uh, with their knowledge, so they need to file with the courts a PCRA, and then the the judge normally who heard the case to begin with will then decide whether there's enough in the PCRA to support a hearing, basically a PCRA hearing, which is like a mini trial. And at that PCRA hearing, if it's approved, and rarely is it approved, um, just just in my experience, it's it's not often. But when it is, then you have this little mini hearing, and then that hearing, that, that little hearing, determines whether there will be a new trial or not. So right now, if I understand correctly, his attorney filed a PCRA. Uh, do you know where or what stage that's in?
2: That. I'm not sure what stage it's in. I'm not sure of the details of the PCRA, but I know that the PCRA was filed a little over a year ago. Speaking to his attorney recently, he actually wrote to follow up with it because we still haven't heard anything back as of yet.
1: Okay. Yeah, there um, it's in our country. And I mentioned this earlier, the United States has more people incarcerated than any other domestic country in the world. Not only that, our, our sentences are longer than any other domestic country in the world as well. So when when people are sentenced in the United States, they're usually sentenced a lot longer than any other country. And then, uh, to top it off, they're, they're treated... They're not treated like like people all the time in in these um, facilities Some are better than others but in a lot of other countries they're treated and, and they're it's a much different incarceration incarceration you know there's um, there's more education more training in some other countries than there is in the United States and granted we have a lot of great programs I mean there's even some prisons that offer college degrees when they're incarcerated so I, I think there's a lot of good things that are um that are in place and and working on on being fine-tuned but there's still a lot of room for improvement in our country which you would expect to be better than any other country um but it's 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 not I mean that's just that's that's the truth that's the facts which is um disappointing very very disappointing so let's um it's about time to take another quick commercial break. Let's take a uh, a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we'll talk a bit a uh, little bit more about the um, the rally that you have coming up in February to um, bring some awareness to some of the things that we've talked about today. So we'll be right back.
0: live the leader in internet talk radio voice elps private detective agency is here to provide you with security and investigative services our specialties include criminal defense surveillance security consulting loss prevention investigations and more elps private detective agency is a dynamic team of professionals with over 30 years of experience No case is too small, too large, or too difficult. We're licensed, bonded, and insured. Visit ELPSPDA.com on the web, or call us at 877-SEE-THAT-ELPS Private Detective Agency. Fighting theft, fraud, and crime, one case at a time. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator, featuring stories and articles on current topics and issues written by professional investigators and leading experts in the profession. Real equipment reviews from top surveillance investigators with years of experience. PI Magazine offers investigative tips and practical advice for the newly licensed to the seasoned veteran investigator. Catch up on recommended sources, vendors, and professional services. Don't miss a single issue of PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. There are many people who claim to be dog experts, yet they don't really provide a connection between dog owners and their best friend. This is where the BS stops. Listen for Taming the Wild in Your Dog with expert author and nationally recognized dog trainer, Brian Bailey. Each show has experts, professional trainers, and veterinarians to give you the right answers. Listen for the safety and well-being of your dog. Listen every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. To is there really truth and justice for all to reach jeff stein or his guest today please call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or you can send an email to j stein at elpspda.com now back to is there really truth and justice for all
1: Welcome back, and thank you for joining us today, and thank you, Portia, for being here talking about your cousin's situation um, that occurred back in 2012 and is really having a a big effect on his family. What a lot of people don't understand and and don't realize until you really think about it and analyze it, but... It doesn't just affect the individual. So we have Marquise and we have Dominic Lee, both incarcerated, and they're going to spend, as of right now, unless they're successful in in any appeals or PCRAs, they're, they're scheduled to spend the rest of their life in prison. And what people don't understand, how it affects not just them, but their families, their mom, their dad, their brothers, their sisters their aunts, their uncles, their cousins, and children. Now, Marquise doesn't have any children, but Dominique Lee does have some children. So this is, it's very difficult for the family because they lose somebody. Um, You know, they now need to make arrangements to go and visit them in a prison. They don't get to just pick up the phone and wish them a happy birthday. They got to wait to be called. They got to put money on their um, on their books so they can make phone calls. There's no free phone calls in prison. They need to come up with tons of money you know, from a a legal defense as well as providing for their family. You know, there's, um, in Dominique Lee's situation, there's no father there to provide for the children. There's no father figure to, you know, guide the children and, and be a father figure like, like, Parents should be. So it really becomes, um, it affects so many more people. And then if there is somebody out there who really did commit this crime, that means they're still out there. They're still on the streets. And normally leopards don't change their spots too easily. So if they killed somebody once, what's to stop them from killing again? Obviously, if they robbed somebody once, they're probably going to rob again because they were doing it because they either thought that there was drugs, there was money, or they needed drugs or money. So, you know, they're, they're going to continue. They're very rarely, you know, does somebody just, it's not like, um, they decide to, to quit smoking and, you know, they, it's the last day they, they, they smoke. It's a lot harder to stop a life of crime, with, um, and, and drug use or whatever the case may be. It's not an easy task. <clears throat> so Portia, I, I feel for you and your family and, um, What's it like for some of the other family members? Obviously, you've taken uh, um, a huge role in, in pr- trying to provide awareness and support for your cousin, but how about his 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 parents and some of his other family members?
2: It's very rough emotionally. You know, we have two family members incarcerated, charged with murder, serving life plus 65. So it's, it's, it's been a struggle, but, you know, we're really... <clears throat> close, tight-knit family, so we support each other and we make things work.
1: Good. How often, and, and again, for the listeners, it, it's the SCIs, the, the state correctional institutions, they, they don't always put somebody that close to where their family is. It obviously depends on the crime they committed, where they're going to be housed, and so forth. So now family members need to drive do you know how far of a ride is it to go see Marquise and how far of a ride is it to go see Dominique, Dominique Lee?
2: Dominique is about four hours in some change away. And Marquise is about five hours
1: in some change away. Exactly. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's not easy for the family in in those situations. It's not like you're going to get up on a a Monday morning and say, Oh, I'm going to go stop and, and see Marquise. You know, um, you know, spend an hour or two with him. You got to drive five hours. That's one way. That's ten hours, and you know, exactly. that's that's a that's a difficult day. And you know, then you got to decide. Well, you know, with all that driving, do you spend the night? Do you got to pay for a hotel? There's obviously the, um, tolls and mileage. It's not cheap. I mean, that's that's not a cheap visit to go visit him. Um, you know, once a week, twice a week, whatever. It's it's difficult. So I just hope our listeners can understand. You know, they don't put somebody 20 minutes away from their family members. Sometimes that works out that way, but not too often because of, you know, they got to be housed in the correct correctional facility based on what the crime they committed, um, you know, and and what level they're at in their uh, in their correctional institute. So, Portia, why don't you tell us a little about a little bit about a rally that you're organizing for next month in February? Um, I'll let you talk about a little bit.
2: Okay. So I'm currently organizing a rally, which is going to take place on Saturday, February 22nd, which is Marquise's 30th birthday. It's going to be from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m., and it's going to take place on 1st Avenue and Lincoln Highway in Coatesville, which we call the Flat. So that rally will be called the Wrongful Conviction Awareness Campaign. My point in having this rally is to basically bring awareness. So everyone around me and in the county is aware of Marquise's story and what's going on because there are a few people that I've been in contact with that are semi-close to me that reached out to me and let me know that they weren't even aware of his story. And that was, you know, that was actually a stepping stone for me to want to get that story out there more and to reach more people being as though it was people semi-close to me that wasn't even aware of what was going on.
1: That's great. And and as far as the rally goes, you know, when you say a rally, um, what are your your thoughts or intentions? You know, how do you envision it for, you know, people to come there um, and, you know, is it to hold up signs, to kind of converse, to, you know, again, share with the group what's going on? Um, What's what do you envision that that day looking like?
2: I envision the entire community of Coatesville coming together to support each other. As I stated, you know, it's the wrongful conviction awareness campaign. So I also encourage family members with other family members that's incarcerated to come out with their picket signs and their poster boards and their t-shirts for their loved ones as well. And we will be stationed with our picket signs, our poster boards, and our t-shirts as well because we do have t-shirts being made for the rally with Marquise's picture on it. And over top of the picture, it says wrongfully convicted.
1: Hmm. Uh, and that's from one to three. Yes.
2: Yeah, so 1 PM to 3 PM.
1: I, I am, I'm just looking at my calendar and I'm speaking at a, um, uh, a, a seminar on Thursday and Friday in South Carolina and my flight back returns I think I land in Philadelphia at one twenty, so I would love to be there and, and to support you 2.20 but I don't know if I'll make it back in time but I will definitely uh, head that direction upon my return so um, uh, that's a bummer I wish I was getting home earlier um, anyway I will I'll do everything I can um, to attend to be there myself because I think that's great for the community I think it's great to bring awareness especially to, um, to to people about wrongful convictions so I commend you for what you're doing you know we'll do everything we can to help get the word out can you share as well with the listeners I know there are some social media um, uh, things that, that you have been um Uh, responsible for as far as a Facebook page for Marquise and an Instagram page. Can you share that information as well? So our listeners can go check out your Facebook page and and your Instagram page.
2: Yes, I currently have a Facebook page for Marquise, which is www.facebook.com forward slash wrongfully convicted man, which we do what I do updates every so often some of them consist of verbal messages from marquise from recordings from prison and a lot of it consists of him writing and wanting to speak to his supporters and anybody that's listening and the instagram page that i run for marquise is the at symbol justice number four marquise reiner and the four again indicates the four different dna's found on the shirt so it's justice number four marquise rayner for instagram
1: and let's just spell marquise rayner for the listeners
2: and marquise rayner is spelled m-a-r-q-u-i-s-r-a-n-e-r so it would be one word justice for the number four and then marquise rayner all one word
1: that's great i will um put that information on our Facebook page as well, which is www.facebook.com forward slash. Is there really truth or justice for all question mark? So I will include that on our social media and do everything I can, you know, please um, keep in touch with me. If there's anything I can do to help promote it. uh, I will, I I do have a question. I mean, um, February, you never know what can right now in, in the, chester care chester county area our snow totals for the year i just saw this on the news are down normally we average about 10 inches of snow to date um and we were i think we're at like you know a half an inch or something like that what happens is there a makeup date i know that's the, the significance of february 22nd is his birthday and that's his 30th birthday which is a big deal but if it's if there happens to be a snowstorm or rain um have you thought about, you know, changing, you know, having it the following week or anything if, if the weather doesn't cooperate?
2: Yes, we have thought about that. We're actually in the process of trying to brainstorm a date, which would be convenient for the majority. So that's actually in the process as well as a just in case.
1: Okay. Well, that's great. That That's good to know. And, you know, obviously we hope, <laughs> hope, hope the weather cooperates, but, um, you just never know in, you know, February, especially we've had such a light winter. So um, I, I hope it does cooperate for you. And and again, this rally is scheduled for Saturday, February 22nd, um, which is also Marquise's 30th birthday from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. It will take place on First Avenue and Lincoln Highway in Coatesville, Pennsylvania. And the community is, is coming together to support uh, Marquise and wrongful convictions and raise awareness to what's currently going on. So I wish you all the best of luck with this. Uh, I I hope I can help out in any way possible. Um, For our listeners, thank you so much for listening. I hope that, uh, again, that the event in February is a huge success. Um, May 2020 be a great year for everyone. May all the wrongful arrests and convictions be overturned. I thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please consider sharing it. Uh, consider giving it a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you use to listen as we continue to increase our listener base and we appreciate all of your positive reviews. Thank you all and have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to, is there really truth and justice for all we can be heard Wednesdays at 8am Pacific time and 11am Eastern time on the voice America variety channel. Please join host Jeff Stein for another edition of the program next week.